Good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 5 today for our study. We'll be starting in verse 16 of 5. John chapter 5, starting in verse 16 through 29 today. What has just happened is that Jesus has just healed a lame man at the pools of Bethesda. And in verse 16, this is what we read. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And it, as he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. May the Lord add his blessing at the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. Well, Ron was probably the most living dead man that I had ever met. When I met him, he was about 20 years older than me. He had been invited to my office by his fiancée to talk about the prospect of getting married at our church. I'd only just met Ron's fiancée through a phone call, and she was trying to find someone who would marry them pastorally. She was a new believer, but Ron was completely lost. And on top of being lost spiritually, Ron was a champion alcoholic, an avid chain smoker, an historic recreational drug user and a blatant pornographer. He had so abused his body over the years with all the doping, drinking, and drugging that it was amazing that he wasn't dead already. But Ron did have a sharp mind, and he knew how to control people and situations to his own benefit. As a matter of fact, over the years, he had worked his way up to becoming one of the managers of a local car dealership and had access to a lot of cash and a beautiful house on a lake. As they came into my office, I sat down and I started to get a picture of Ron's story. You see, Ron had already been married five times. 
She had been married three times. As I met with them, I could tell pretty quickly that he didn't want to give me the time of day. As he sat back in the chair and rudely took phone calls during our time to close some car deals, at one point I asked him what it's been like being married five times without missing a beat. He said, oh, it's been awful. I then asked him, so what's going to be different about this marriage this time that will keep you from getting divorced again? And he bleakly responded, I don't really know. I then shared with them that the only thing that will make any difference is if both of you will give your lives to Christ and both follow after him. As always, in these kinds of situations, I began sharing the gospel with them. And as I did, Ron started getting really uncomfortable and a little agitated in his chair. But one thing was clear. Ron needed Jesus more than anything. Ron was dead in sin. And Jesus was the only one who could give him life. As we'll see today, Jesus is the one. Jesus is one with the Father. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. If you see Jesus at work, then you see God at work. Jesus only does what he sees his Father doing. And the Father has revealed all things to the Son. And the Son gives life just as the Father does. Jesus is so worthy of the same honor as the Father. So we need to believe Jesus' word here. Those who believe have eternal life. Those who believe are not under judgment. Those who believe have indeed been born again. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Our message series is that you may believe. Today's focus, Jesus gives life. In our passage today, Jesus finally defends himself publicly as to who he is and what he is all about. In particular, he makes an apologetic. He makes a defense based on his relationship with his heavenly Father, and he never backs down from the accusation found in verse 18. Did you catch it? even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Jesus never shrinks back from that at all. Today we'll see three spiritual principles that we'll examine. And we'll examine the fact that Jesus is the only one who ultimately gives life. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for just a moment that we have here to be in your word. Lord, help us to drink it in, to hear what you have to say. Lord, we know that there's no one here by accident, but by your divine call, your divine will, we are all here gathered together for this moment, for this purpose, to hear what you have to say. Not this speaker, but what you have to say in your word. Oh, God, teach us. Open our eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Humble our hearts, Lord, that we might be teachable in this moment. Thank you, Lord. We want to give you all the praise. We pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first truth of three today. First of all, Jesus is indeed one with the Father. Jesus is one with the Father. First of all, we see here in this passage that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. If he's Lord of the Sabbath, that makes him really divine. That makes him God in verse 16, it says, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. What was he doing? He healed a lame guy, told him to pick up his mat and walk. 
In verse 16, we see Jesus under attack by the Pharisees for breaking the Jewish Sabbath regulations. As one theologian put it, the most immediate cause of the Pharisees' antagonism toward Jesus, however, lay in his ignoring their hundreds of elaborate but petty rules that they had devised for interpreting the law of God. Not only did they devise these hundreds of man-made rules, but they had also elevated them to the level of Scripture so that to break one of their Sabbath rules was to violate the law of God itself. And yet these rules not only obscure the true intent of God's law, but also in some cases actually violated it. So to kind of give you an idea of what we're talking about here with these rules that these Pharisees had come up with, uh, based on Shabbat, which is Sabbath. Here are some activities that cannot be performed on the Sabbath. Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading, backing. Work related to making any covering, shearing sheep, bleaching, carding, dyeing, spinning, stretching material, making two loops, the beginning of sowing, threading needles, weaving, separating, tying a knot, untying a knot, sewing, tearing, trapping or hunting, building, demolishing, lighting, lighting or extinguishing, carrying from private to public domain and vice versa, putting the finishing touches to a piece of work already begun before the Sabbath. That was, that was all outlawed. You could not do any of that stuff. So similarly, agreeing to buy something was prohibited. You couldn't buy something on Sabbath because most agreements are confirmed in writing. Climbing a tree was forbidden because it may lead to breaking twigs or tearing leaves, which could be construed as reaping. You understand how this works? Adding fresh water to a vase of cut flowers. That's sowing. You're kind of working on planting there. Making a bouquet of flowers. That's making a sheaf. Separating good fruit from spoiled fruit. That's winnowing, selecting or sifting. Brushing dried mud from boots or clothes, that's grinding, cutting hair or nails, that's shearing sheep, removing outer covering of, of a human or animal, applying makeup, that's dyeing, braiding hair, that's weaving, drawing blood for a blood test, that's slaughtering. You understand what's going on here? You can't do anything. And you certainly can't heal a guy and have him carry his mat. Beloved, keeping all the rules for the rule's sake is known as legalism. And I've seen it. Ultimately, legalism will destroy a church where people are too busy following the rules that they aren't really following after Christ. Being a Christian, by the way, has way more to do with our being than it has to do with our doing. Jesus had just healed a man on the Sabbath, and he then directed the man to pick up his bed and walk what I'm wondering is why aren't the Jewish authorities more amazed that the lame man can walk at all? Awesome, you can walk? Hey, let's help you with your mat. That would have been better. And by the way, this wasn't the only time, and perhaps it wasn't the first time, Jesus had broken the Sabbath according to the religious leaders. In Mark chapter 2, listen to this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way with his disciples... His disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Why? Well, they're reaping, right? They're harvesting. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? 
he and those who were with him, how David entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Here Jesus makes it very clear that offering care and love for people is more important than keeping the Sabbath regulations. Just as David took care of his men, Jesus took care of his disciples, and now Jesus takes care of a lame man. Beloved, ministry is messy. And sometimes we'll need to endure hardship for trying to help people. And you ask, well, why is ministry so messy? (laughs) Because people are messy. Ministry can be hard. Caring for others can literally suck the life out of you. If you aren't careful to make sure your ministry is sourced in the unlimited resources of Christ and not yourself, as you serve others, you may suffer financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Again, for Jesus, the hardship in healing the lame man was suffering persecution. They all should have been marveling over the fact that the man was healed. A lame man walks rather than grumbling and complaining that he broke one of the rules. Jesus says in Matthew 5.10 in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are persecuted for, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Then what does motivate us to keep going with all the hardship and difficulty in ministry? For me... It's life change. When you finally see God at work in an amazing way in the life of an individual, it's absolutely amazing. Ministering to others can be incredibly difficult, but the fruit of ministry is literally out of this world. The beauty of changed lives, restored marriages, broken lives that are healed, it's absolutely beautiful. It's absolutely sheer amazing. Jesus is one with the Father. He is indeed the Lord of the Sabbath. But secondly here, if you are Jesus, if you see Jesus at work, then you see God at work. If you're seeing Jesus working, then you see God at work. That's what Jesus says of himself. But Jesus answered them by, my Father's working until now and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Can anybody in this room say these things? Uh Uh-uh. Well, if you see Brad working, you're seeing the Heavenly Father work. I don't think so. Only Jesus could say that. The word working here is the word in Greek, ergamai where we get the word ergonomics, or energy, work, working, energy, power. God is working, and he's working by his grace through Christ in us. Colossians 1.15 says this, he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is, in fact, equal with God. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, Our Savior, Jesus the Christ, is not only our Redeemer and Savior, but he is our Creator. That's what the text just said. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is above all things, and in him all things hold together. Not only did he make it, he's sustaining it, holding it all together. 
And he's the head of the body, the church, he's the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, in Christ Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Is a part of God missing? No, the fullness. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The writer of Hebrews adds to this, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. See, he's the creator and the redeemer. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. I just ask you, how close is exact? This is our Jesus. He's divine. He is equal with God. He doesn't have to make himself equal to God. He is, in fact, equal with God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus continues to create. He is the heavenly father. He is divine. He is one with the Father in every respect, in the same substance. But thirdly here, Jesus only does what he sees his Father doing. Jesus only does what he sees his Father doing. Verse 19, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Unlike us, Jesus has a heavenly perspective. He sees what the Father is doing and what the Father is accomplishing, and he's all about it. Most times, we don't know what God is up to, and we puzzle, and we muse, and we're like, what's going on? Jesus didn't have that problem. We have a temporal view. Jesus had an eternal view because he sees things the same way the Father does. I ask you, what is your perspective this morning? Are you starting to see things the way God sees them? But fourthly here, the Father has revealed all things to the Son. In other words, the Son has access to all the information the Father does. In verse 20 it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Notice what motivates Jesus here. It's his love. It's the love of the Father for him. He's motivated by love. And so the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. And so they show themselves to each other, shows him all that he himself is doing. And I ask you, what's motivating you? Are you motivated by love? For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. But fifthly here, the Son gives life just as the Father does. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That's remarkable. Jesus is the ultimate judge. The Son is the giver of life and also the one who will execute ultimate justice. And we'll see this initially here, even in this gospel, in John's gospel, a few chapters from now, where Jesus is going to raise a dead man from the grave, Lazarus. Stay tuned for that. But it is the Son who gives life just as the Father does. But sixthly here, Jesus is worthy of the same honor as the Father. If he, in fact, is divine, he should get the same praise, the same glory as the Father. 
Jesus says that all may honor the Son. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Why? That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. In other words, to the degree that we honor and lift up Christ, we honor God. Philippians 2.5, Paul says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I want to make something pretty clear here on this. Everybody in this room, everybody, whether you believe or not, every knee will bow Every tongue confess. Count on it. You're going to be there, and you will. And you go, well, I don't, I don't, I'm an atheist, and I don't like God. Yeah, well, the minute you die, you're going you're gonna to know him real well. And this, this one who you've denied your whole life and you've put down, this one that you've tried to make go away because you don't want to deal with him, will make himself manifest and he'll point out how right he was and how right he's been the whole time. For those who are in Christ will be praising him for eternity, for his grace and his mercy, knowing full well that we haven't deserved any grace or mercy. We will bend our knee and praise and thank you, God, for saving me. For those who are not in Christ, those who are damned, those who are lost, They will be on their face before him and they'll be praising him for his justice and his righteousness because he was right the whole time and now I'm getting exactly what I deserve because I've rejected him and I pushed him away. Don't we know, I mean, how silly we are to reject God, to reject his offer of salvation in Christ because he's going to use your rebellion to bring himself glory out of you anyway. You go, oh my goodness. See, we have this idea that the only way I can bring honor and glory to God is if I'm following after him and doing the right thing. No, even in your rebellion, he will be exonerated. He will be lifted high. He will demonstrate how wrong you were. And we're just silly to not bend our knee now. This is who we're dealing with. He is our God. He is Christ, God incarnate. He is indeed one with the Father. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. If you see Jesus at work, then you see God at work. Jesus only does what he sees his Father doing. The Father has revealed all things to the Son. The Son gives life just as the Father does. Jesus is worthy of the same honor as the Father So then, secondly here, what should we do about this? You need to believe. We need to believe Jesus' word here. And Jesus makes it very clear, first of all, that those who believe have eternal life. Truly, truly, he says. First time he uses that here. Truly, truly. In in the Greek, it's amen, amen. From the Hebrew, amen, amen. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. 
So be it, so be it. Deal with it, deal with it. <coughs> Excuse me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. See, he's the only one who can give life. Only for those who believe. Do you believe? John writes in 1 John 5.10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. <clears throat> whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. See, Jesus is the one who gives life. John adds, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I just want to, any questions? This isn't complicated. I write these things, John says. I, I'm writing this so that you can know. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Again, God's not trying to play a shell game with us, trying to, well, I hope they figure it out. No, look, come to me. Whoever has the son has life. Remember the commercial a while back, you know? Got milk, you know, remember that? Big campaign, let's drink some more milk, right? Got milk, better question. Got Jesus? Do you? Whoever has the son has life. If not, you're lost. But secondly, we need to believe Jesus' word here. Why? Secondly, those who believe are not under judgment. That's what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. Do you understand how awesome that is? I don't know about you, but I need to be judged for a lot of stuff because I've done a lot of dumb things. I've thought a lot of dumb things. I've said a lot of dumb things. I've hurt a lot of people. If somebody could get the thing that's going bleep, 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 that would be great. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I feel like I'm playing Frogger. Beep, beep, beep. So if somebody could help whoever has that phone, that would be great. Please, let's seek it out and deal with it because it's a distraction and impeding the gospel. Did it stop? Praise God. Thank you, Lord. We're not under judgment if you're in Christ. Do you understand how precious that is? Without him, you're under judgment. I want to encourage you. Take your Bibles and turn, let's just take a break here. Let's go to Psalm 1. I want you to see this. Psalm 1. We're all going to turn there. It won't be on the screen, but I just want to share this with you. Again, these things are laid out from the Old Testament all the way into the New but in the, even in the very first psalm, listen to what the psalmist says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. How blessed you are if you're not that guy or that person. But his delight, verse 2, is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. God's law. In the Hebrew, the word would be Torah. 
dwelling on the Torah. Torah, well, that's Genesis through Deuteronomy in particular. Dwelling on his law. That person who's doing that, verse 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. I don't know about you, but I hear that. I go, where do I sign up for this? I don't want to be parched. I don't want to dry up and shrivel away. I'd love for things to go well in life. But look at the contrast in verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. You know what chaff is? That's that little shell stuff that surrounds the seed. Like when you pop the popcorn, that's that piece that gets stuck in your tooth that you don't like. Where's the toothpick? <sighs> Blows away. Are you hearing this? The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Watch this. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Are you hearing that? The wicked will not stand in the judgment. You know what that means? That means they're going to be blown away. And you go, oh. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is not complicated. He who has Christ has life. If you don't, you don't have life. Got Jesus? Those who believe have eternal life. Those who believe are not under judgment. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, O God, for Jesus. Because without him, I am a condemned man. I'm a walking dead man. But thirdly here, those who believe have been born again. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does, not come on, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. We were dead in our trespasses. Now we've been made alive in Christ. I was dead and now I'm alive through faith in Christ. John 3, 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Have you been born again? Have you given your life to Christ? Peter answered this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. I can't reborn myself. He's going to have to do it. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Oh, that is so precious. It's, kept, it's a guaranteed thing for you in heaven. For by God's power, our being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I ask you, have you been born again? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior once and for all? For those who believe, they have been born again. They are no longer under God's judgment, no longer under his wrath. Finally, we have access to eternal life through faith in Christ Jesus. Beloved, we need to believe Jesus' word here. But lastly today, don't miss it. Jesus is precisely the resurrection and the life. 
Jesus is the only one who gives life because he's the resurrection and the life. Notice what it says in verse 25. Once again, truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen, I say to you. An hour is coming. Again, if Jesus is saying this, I'd like to remind you, Jesus has got pretty good credentials, right? An hour is coming. He can tell you what's going to happen and that this is going to happen. An hour is coming and is now here, he says. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is going to happen. The tombs will be empty. And God is going to deal with everyone. Count on it. Matter of fact, Jesus tells us this is going to be the case. Take your Bible, go to Matthew 24. Take a look at one more little passage here. I want you to see Matthew 24. Actually, there's two more passages we've got to see, but this is one of them. <laughs> Matthew 24. This is in the Olivet Discourse. This is toward the end of Jesus' ministry, and watch what happens here. Jesus is leaving the temple and was going away, and when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, which is kind of amazing to me. So <laughs> Jesus is leaving the temple with the disciples, and the disciples are like, hey, did you notice these big buildings? Like, how could you miss them, right? But he answered them, you see all these? Do you not? Truly, truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Little prophecy, little prophetic word. See this building, this huge monstrosity, this temple? Not one stone will be left on another. And you know what? That is the case to this day. In A.D. 70, the Romans came in and dismantled the whole thing and threw it down the hill. I've got pictures of the stones if you want to see them. Been there, saw it myself. There's nothing left but the western wall, which is just a foundation wall. It's not even the temple itself. The temple is completely dismantled. Was Jesus right? Did he call it right? Yeah, he did. Nailed it. Verse 3, it says, as, as he sat on the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives is just a little bit east of Jerusalem City. So he's up in the Mount of Olives. There's the, the Kidron Valley. And boom, he can look across and look at the eastern gate as he's talking to these guys. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, to the, uh, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and at the end of the age? Wouldn't that be a great question to ask? Hey, when's it all going to be done? Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Have we had that? Yeah, still having it. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Have we seen that? Yep, there's going to be more. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all the nations for my namesake. Some have already dealt with that. There's, if you follow a, a, the, what's the martyrs? The voice of the martyr, martyrs, look that up online. 
not right now, after church, when you get home, after the picnic, you can look at Voice of the Martyrs and see where the persecution is taking place around the world. And by the way, if you haven't noticed, the temperature is being turned up here too. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Boy, we're seeing that one. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. We're in that process right now where we need to get the gospel out to everybody. And not shrink back from that opportunity. The end is coming, folks. There was the beginning. There will be an end. Count on it. The hour is coming. That's what Jesus says. He says that twice in 25 and 28. An hour is coming. An hour is coming. And you go, what's going to happen? Those in the tomb are going to come out. Really? Yeah. Matter of fact, we got a little bit of an image of that from Ezekiel. And once you hear the passage, you'll go, oh, I know this one. Ezekiel 37. In verse 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. By the way, that's a good answer. <laughs> you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones. That is, proclaim God's word over these bones, would you? And say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I was prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bones to its bones, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. O oh, my people, and will I put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. You all know this, right? Ankle bones connected to the leg bone, the leg bone connected to the knee bone, you know. Hear the word of the Lord. You know the song. It goes way back. This is going to happen. Martha was upset that her brother had died. 
pleading with Jesus. You should have been here. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Point blank rage with Martha. Do you believe this, Martha? <laughs> she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. There's coming a day where he will say, and come out. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Incidentally, this is not salvation based on works. This is judgment based on works. These who are in Christ will surely be those who display their salvation through their works. James says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. If you truly believe, you most certainly will do. The story goes that Erwin Lutzer, pastor of the Moody Memorial Church in downtown Chicago, as a professor, a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, every year he takes his preaching students on a field trip to the local cemetery so they can preach. He says, I take them to a little cemetery in Deerfield, Illinois, and I have them all gather around certain gravesites. So you imagine, here's all these seminary students who are learning how to be preachers. And he takes them to a graveyard and says, okay, let's ga gather around this grave. And I point out the name, and then I tell one of the students, preach the gospel to Mr. Smith here, would you? They look at me as if I'm nuts. So I preach to Mr. Smith with enthusiasm, sir, Jesus died for your sins, and you must put your faith in him. Then I look at the students and I tell them, this kind of preaching is no different than preaching the gospel to unsaved people. The Bible says that they are dead in their sins. You can preach your heart out, but nothing will happen unless God does a miracle to give them the life to listen. So is the case here in our midst here today. I don't know if you're dead or not. I don't know if you're a walking corpse or not. Ron came into my office and he was a walking dead man. And he was getting uncomfortable as I was sharing the gospel with him. Getting agitated, started kind of moving around in the seat, kind of like, you know, I'd like to get out of here. I could tell. You know, I can watch the body language. And I finally asked him, I said, Ron, what's going on? You seem pretty upset. What's bugging you? And he finally said, well, you know, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and I was told if I ever went to another church, I was going to go to hell. Well, that's a problem. And by now, he's sitting in neutral. Before, he's laying back with his phone, you know, doing deals, and now he's kind of sitting in neutral in his chair. I said to him, Ron, I'm not asking you to leave the Catholic faith nearly as much as I'm asking you if you want to give your life to Christ and have a new life today. Is that what you want? You want a new life, a new fresh start, putting your faith and trust in him where all your sins are forgiven and you can move forward in righteousness, trusting him with your life, trusting God with whatever he might do through a marriage. And he leaned across the table and goes, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that. And in that moment, a miracle took place. Ron put his faith and trust in Christ. His fiance is just bawling. 
because she couldn't imagine this guy ever coming to this place. And the miracle that took place in this, and the life change that took place. Soon afterwards, he gave up the alcohol. This guy was pounding 12 to 16 beers a night. He had so many bud cans in his garage that he helped finance a youth trip with all the cans we returned. I filled the back of a full-size van twice with all the cans. Unbelievable. He eventually quit smoking. He eventually put away the pornography. But sadly, the damage was already done to his body for all those years. And at age 63, he went home to be with his father, his heavenly father. As God was transforming him, he became a greeter at our church, which was awesome because he was kind of a card. You know, he'd been a party guy and, you know, a bar guy most of his life. And now he's greeting people coming into the church. And he'd ask them as he's handing out the program, do you want smoking or non-smoking? <laughs> it was hilarious. God redeemed this guy. A new life. And it was worth all the trouble to watch what God did in the life of this man. Jesus is one with the Father. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. If you see Jesus at work, then you see God at work. Jesus only does what he sees his Father doing. The Father has revealed all things to the Son. The Son gives life just as the Father does. Jesus is worthy of the same honor as the Father. We need to believe Jesus' word here. Those who believe have eternal life. Those who believe are not under judgment. Those who believe have indeed been born again. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And you go, okay, thank you, Pastor, for sharing. So what? I just want to say this, lastly. This may be your last chance to hear the gospel. You don't know if you have another day here or not. And so I want to encourage you to humble yourself while there's yet time. Put aside your pride and submit yourself to Christ. What else do you need to see? You have enough evidence to draw your conclusion about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. You don't want to stand before God one day under his judgment as he says to you, look, I showed you who my son is. I gave you every opportunity and yet you refuse my testimony. You will be without excuse and you will enter into my judgment and off you will go under his eternal righteous judgment. What a wretched day that will be for you. Turn to Christ this minute. Give yourself to him even right now. Don't wait another second. Would you please stand with me as we close our service? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your Son the only one who can give us life. There's life, there's no life to find anywhere else but in him. We know this. The world, we go after the world, there's nothing there that the world has for us. It's a big empty basket. 
but Jesus is the one who grants life. Lord, it's my prayer if there's someone here who needs to give their life to you, that they do so even right now in the quietness of this moment, that they simply invite you into their heart and life. Simple prayer, not complicated. Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me. I've been running from you for a long time. And I want to turn around. And I want to follow after you. I invite you to come into my heart and life. I invite you to take control of my life. Help me to trust you in all things. But Lord, I praise you and thank you for dying for me, for taking my place and taking the judgment on yourself that I might live. Lord, we thank you for our salvation. Lord, for those who are in Christ already this morning, may we be encouraged at this testimony from Christ testimony of my friend Ron and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit for those who are in Christ as we're born again. So Lord, have your way in our hearts and our lives, and may we all now go forth and share this truth, this outrageous love and grace with those that we hold dear. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for attending to us. Thank you for the truth and the power of your word. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Hopefully you can make it out to the picnic. We'll see you there.